Talk to me about Phil Jackson and the Bulls and how his coaching. Um, yeah, like anytime I see like uh, like sales managers or sales coaches or owners of companies that are kind of afraid of instituting sales systems in their in their teams, I'm just like, okay, then you're just you're just afraid of like scaling. But you get to a point usually where once you get to enough people, you need systems, right? Hey, how's it going? It's Tim Brown, and this is the Hook Better Leads podcast. And today I have Sebastian from Rilla Voice on Rilla. How you doing, Sebastian? Yes. All good, man. Rilla Voice, Rilla. It's all good. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, man. RillaVoice.com, by the way. And we're talking about how they analyze 500,000 sales conversations with AI. And here's what they found to help your, you as a sales manager. Um, we're, ta- we're, sa- we're saying the top 1% of sales managers are using AI. And, and your platform is one of the leading ways that you can do this. I want to hear... First of all, how do you deal with that lack of visibility from sales managers and coaches? Yeah, so uh, Real Voice, to, for context, we're the leading speech analytics software for roofing sales. So when uh, you have a roofing team, you have five salespeople, 10 salespeople going out there uh, trying to sell some shingles. Uh, they talk to customers in their homes, right? Or, or commercial, they talk to them in their businesses. Uh, they record their conversations with our mobile app through their phones or tablets. And then we use AI to automatically transcribe, analyze, and give, give salespeople feedback on how to improve their sales and to allow sales managers to, to basically do what we call virtual ride-alongs that are 100 times uh, faster, better, and cheaper than physical ride-alongs so that sales managers and sales teams can kind of be on the same page. And, uh, and so sales managers can actually coach uh, other players with, with some actual visibility as to what's, what's going on, not just some, some black box and some assumptions as to what your sales teams are doing right or wrong. So that's just for context, what we do. And, and we've, uh, like you, you know, said, we've, we've, uh-huh. a little bit more background from you too. Like have you, I'm, the way you talk, I can tell you've used this software on your own pitches. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> we take out you're all the speaking, fat. You're speaking punchlines. I'm, I'm yes. feeling. Yeah. Punch. That that's right? funny that you say punchlines. I used to be a stand-up comedian. So really, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. the original, the, the original idea for Rilla, it, it was in the back of my head. It's not the actual idea that led to this, but the first time I ever thought of a recording analytics software was when I was doing stand up comedians record their sets with their phones. And I thought mm-hmm. of a way to like kind of streamline the process, make some analytics on, on your jokes and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's incredible. I love that that worked out the way I said that. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you guys just you guys got some serious funding recently, but better than that, I think it was like three point five million. I hope you don't mind me sharing; it's all public. It, three point three point eight. Three point eight. Excuse me. No one's three point eight million. <laughs> even yeah. better than that. Even better than that. You guys have thirty percent month over month growth, and that's like you said that that is the fast one of the fastest startups in history. Yeah, like if you look at if you look at just uh, traditional uh, startup growth, uh, companies that make a few hundred thousand dollars in their first year of sales, that's like really good. That's like world class. If you go from zero to a couple hundred thousand dollars of, of revenue in, in your first year, we went to a few million dollars in our first year. Uh, so, for instance, Figma that got acquired by Adobe for like $22 billion, they did $740,000 of any recurring revenue in the first year of sales. We surpassed that. And typically when startups are beyond the $1 million mark of revenue in the growth stage, as we call it. They typically grow. If you're world-class, you're growing 10% month over month. We're growing 30 uh, or over 30. So yeah, that qualifies as one of the fastest growing startups in history. Like Airbnb did that, Facebook, obviously. So, 
And you kind of got to be having a boost with investors right now with the AI focus, like, right? Like the buzz around AI is just like crypto, (laughs) like three years ago. So probably going to actually change culture in a significantly more impactful way than crypto did from what we can tell at the present. Than anything, I would say. Than anything. Yeah. And it's scary too. But like in the meantime, leverage what you can because you're competing with people that are. So like if you're a roofing contractor who's competing with people that are analyzing 500,000 sales conversations and you guys are able to give some of the, um, the tips. So that's what this podcast is going to be. Some of the tips that you've already seen, but this is just showing you how to fish, you know, this yeah, is just showing yeah, you yeah, how yeah. in your market, you could get more specific insights with your sales team. You could get more specific insights and I think coach better. So what's the yeah. difference between micromanaging and coaching? Yeah. Uh, micromanaging and coaching. I think, I think, I don't, I don't think micromanagement is bad. I think there's different ways of coaching, right? There's macro. Uh, anytime you have a coach, what you're trying to do as a sales manager is always have the biggest mistake that, that we see that companies make and sales managers make when they transition into the role of sales managers, like first time sales managers is that it's typically top performing salespeople that go into the role of sales management and they, don't make the transition in their brain that they became a coach. They became a sales manager. They're no longer a salesperson, which is why a lot of companies make the mistake of making their top performers get out of the field and become a sales manager. That's actually not a good thing because those top performers are naturally better at going out hunting, being individual contributors. Sales manager is somebody who has to fundamentally understand that your schedule looks completely different than a salesperson because all you're trying to do Your productivity is measured by the productivity of your team. So everything you need to be doing in your entire day is how do I enable my team to perform better, right? And in order to enable your team to perform better, you have macro activities, right? Where you sit in a room and you coach your team of five and your team of 10 and you, you give what we call macro management or macro coaching, where you have like sales trainings and it's like, and it's a high leverage activity because you're coaching many people at once. And so your activity is having impact on many different people. That's amazing. As a sales manager, if your activity can have impact on many different people, but there's also micro coaching. There's micromanagement. You go into one-on-one with a particular person and you go in deep, right? Is, is that micromanagement? I, yeah. Is it bad? I don't think so. Uh, because yeah, you talked about Phil Jackson. So how, talk to me about Phil Jackson and the Bulls and how his coaching. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. like honest, anytime I see like, uh, like sales managers or sales coaches or owners of companies that are kind of afraid of instituting sales systems in their, in their teams, I'm just like, okay, then you just, you're just afraid of like scaling. Right. It, and it's typical. I understand. I empathize with that because it's usually like owners that got to a side, like, they kind of like made their mark in the world. They, they kind of went from zero to a few million dollars in revenue. They might be getting into five million, maybe 10, right? It's their first time hiring a team of salespeople and, and they, they kind of like want to lead with personality. But you get to a point usually where once you get to enough people, you need systems, right? And so it's, it's kind of like a difficult transition to make to go from like, okay, I'm an early owner. I made my company exist. Now I need to scale it and, and create systems. Um, and anytime I get this like, you know, questions like, oh, this, we can't just be micromanaging people, how they talk and, and what they say. It's like, well, it, would you say that, you know, Phil Jackson, anybody who saw the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, 
He had a system oh, yeah. called the triangle offense, right? Where he literally needed people to stand in very particular ways in the court and pass the ball in a very particular way. And when they didn't do it in the particular way that he wanted them to do it, he was right there on the court side telling people, no, 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 you stand right over there and you pass the ball to this guy. And even Michael Jordan, who was one of the best players of all time, he didn't actually become the legendary Michael Jordan that we know. Uh, until he started adopting that process that his coach kind of instituted for the entire team. He did the same thing with the Lakers. Because you see, like, sales is, is like any other sport where you have talent, you have top performers, you have personalities, right? But just like we saw in sports, in sports, it's not the best teams with the best talent that win. It's the teams with the best systems. And if you guys watch the movie Moneyball, it's not only the best systems, but it's the most data-driven systems that win games. It's, it's just the new world, right? Data beats anybody. Uh, well, even the most talented like players. Moneyball for roofing sales. This is where yeah, Moneyball money for roofing ball. sales. You measure exactly right. what works at specific parts of the conversation. Should I talk a little bit less? Should I talk a little bit more? Should I talk mm -hmm. faster? Should I talk about pricing at the beginning, at the end? These are the yeah. things that we try to enable our customers to do with Brillo Boys. Yeah. I know when we talked about a year and a few months ago at Win the Storm, and I, I think I discovered you, Sebastian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I might have been one of the first roofing media things that yes on your stuff though um that is correct that, that means a lot but i think i rank on youtube like number one for your besides your channel for real voice that is correct um, there's, <laughs> there's interest there's interest right and and i'm super excited for you and i think this is amazing and i see some of our smartest guys looking at this if they're not already customers they're looking at they it they probably are so, yeah I, i'd like i like the hope that they <laughs> will be if they're not yet um yeah some of our smartest guys. So I want to hear some of these insights. I'll note the ones that you said last time when we talked. You said people are actually speaking, you said 80% of the time if you're pitching, yeah. if you're going in and doing a cold pitch, and then down to 50% if it's more of the in-home consultation, you've been invited there through. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe I misremembered that. No, no, um, that's correct. That that's correct. Very interesting. Um, what's... So we're talking about sales managers today. What's a mistake that you see a lot of sales managers make after listening to these 500,000 sales conversations or, or AI listening to it? Right. So one of the things, so there's a few actually that are quite critical. It all goes back to this, not understanding the fundamental role of the sales manager. Uh, uh, like I said, a lot of top performers become sales managers. They're st still thinking in the sales brain. So I'll give you one mistake that's very usual. You go on a ride-along. The ride-along is supposed to be your only opportunity um, you know, if you don't have real voice, if you go on a physical ride along, that's your only opportunity to see what your sales reps are saying in the home and kind of give the feedback, right? Um, we see a lot of sales managers that when they go on physical ride alongs, they see their rep, you know, really doing some critical things wrong. And like, oh, they didn't say the company story correctly. Oh, they didn't do the inspection correctly. They didn't ask enough questions and the information attraction questions, the qualifying sequence. And so what they do is they can't help but literally intervene and take over the conversation, which is such a bad thing to do. That's such a horrible, horrible thing to do because when you intervene, you're not actually doing the purpose of what the ride-along is. The ride-along is for you to give feedback to your rep so that when you're not there, you know, they can actually do it right. But if you're mm -hmm. taking over, you're not helping them because you're just going out and selling. That's not a high leverage activity. Yeah. Because you're not going to be there selling most of the time. Your guy is going to be there selling. So your job is to enable them. And if you're taking over, not letting them see their own mistakes and then giving them feedback afterwards, that's, so that's, that's, that's horrible. The tool, the tool really quick. How are you like, give us a little behind the scenes. How does, 
Grilla see that? Like, how do you guys, yeah. uh, the software analyzes stuff and you can see, I guess it's the third person talking that you've got the sales rep and the homeowner, and then there's a sales coach and the, the AI can see that this person's then taking over the conversation. Right. Well, with Rilla, usually the sales coach is not there because Rilla's there. So sales managers don't have to spend half a day or one entire day doing a ride along. They do what we call virtual ride along. So Rilla's in, in there, right? Uh, we yeah. just know this because we work with a lot of customers that transition from physical ride-alongs into, into virtual ride-alongs, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what, what Rilla does is it records the conversation, uses uh, speech-to-text to transcribe it into text. And then for people who have heard of GPT chat, imagine if you took every single one of the transcriptions of your conversations, right, uh, that your reps are having in the home, and you, and you gave it to GPT chat, right, GPT-4, and you told GPT chat, hey, Please analyze this conversation for me. Give me the key topics. Give me a summary. Tell me exactly where this conversation went wrong in your experience, GPT chat. If you did that with GPT chat, GPT chat is actually going to summarize it and give you the key topics. It's going to struggle giving you what went wrong because it has no context. It, ha it doesn't really know anything. But what we do with Rilla is we essentially take GPT-4, which is the model behind GPT chat, and we literally give it access to your entire CRM. So it looks at the conversations that actually led to deals. It looks at all your conversations. And then we tell GPT-4, based on everything you know about what makes this company sell more, can you give me or this rep feedback as to what they did wrong or right in this particular conversation? Because this has been around before ChatGPT, right? Yes. Yes. And so what were you using as the engine before ChatGPT? Building, bu building it in-house. Like That's why I say like to people, when ChatGPT came out in GPT-4, it's like a, it's a before and after, I would say, of technology, of, of human history, I would say. What would have taken us years and, and millions and millions of dollars in funding to kind of get half-assed right, we could literally do now in a week with GPT-4 in terms of development. Like, like, like it's insane. Uh, 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 like before with Rail, we were using our own proprietary systems, natural language processing. GPT-4 came out and it just... And, and other companies that had existed from before, like the call center, when they were analyzing call center calls, all these, like anything that's before GPT-4 is just archaic now. Because it's just, it's literally like having a human being taking notes and analyzing the actual conversation with context. It's insane. It's time you rethink roofing. I'm just doing a little bit like behind the scenes of the startup kind of content here for a second. But did you guys have like a punch in the gut moment with ChatGPT? Were, were, were you like, did you struggle with maybe we have to use this and then, oh, we definitely just have to swap out our system for this? Or how did, how did that like when that hit, how did that process in the back we were celebrating. of the startup? Yeah. We were also okay. we did not give we do not give a single crap about throwing out everything we have built yeah. and, and just using this. Yeah. We don't care. Uh, we, yeah. we don't. People, a lot of startups make the mistake where they fall in love with their products and they fall. And what you should fall in love with is solving people's problems, right? That's what the yeah. thing that actually matters. And so if your product's just worse than something that's out there that you can use that just like eliminated so many problems for you, then use that. We have no, literally no. There was no hesitation when GPT chat came out. I said. We're moving to GPT chat. Like, it was so good. The same thing happened with Whisper. Whisper was a model that actually came before GPT chat. And we were like, this is the best thing that we've actually, it's just so oh, yeah. good. So right? you'd so. practice. You'd practice swapping out the. the yeah, all the time, all the time. Anything that we don't need to build ourselves that, you know, that we can just take the best technology out there. Why the hell? Yeah. It's like, 
you know? Yeah. I love that. Fall in love with solving your customer's problem. See, you speak yeah. in uh, punchlines. This is, you're, you're, a great, <laughs> you're a great copywriter, Sebastian. I'm sure that that's like, helped in a lot of ways. Uh, um, it has. Great, yeah. If you look up speech analytics for outside sales, Rilla comes up number one. So I love yeah. that. Let's go. <laughs> um, okay. So we talked about one mistake that sales managers make. What's one high leverage change that managers can make with their sales team based on these 500,000 sales conversations that your guys' AI has analyzed? What's, what's a high leverage change that managers can help them make? So one of the things that we analyzed with our conversation, which is like new research that we did, it's like it takes reps uh, about two months to change a habit. So uh, meaning, let's say, for instance, going back to the analytics that we found earlier when, when you talked to us like a year ago, we, we found that the top 1% of performers across the country uh, that are selling roofs, but also in other trades, they talk between 45 and 65% of the time versus the customer. Uh, and in average, reps talk between 75 and 85% of the time. Uh, low performers actually talk more than 85% of the time on average. So, <laughs> so they talk so much. So did they basically selling an ad? They're not selling, they're, they're giving an ad, but, but the top performers talk 45 to 65% of the time. High leverage change that sales managers can make is understanding that let's say that you have this knowledge that you have to get your teams to, to talk less with Rilla. You can actually measure their talk ratio. That's one of the things that we measure. How much are they talking every single day? And you can see how it goes over time. That's a really high impactful thing that people can do. Like just literally like a very easy change that your sales teams can make. is like, just talk less and you'll see like better results in sales. Like you can increase your chances of selling by like 30, 40% just by doing that. Right. Literally just by talking less, asking more questions. Yeah. The mistake sales managers make is that they see this data, but they see other things that their sales teams are going, are doing wrong. And they try to overwhelm their teams with feedback. That's what people usually refer to as micromanagement. It's not micromanagement. It's that they are overwhelmed with feedback. And if you're trying to change somebody's habit and knowing that it takes two months to change somebody's habit, if you start saying, hey, you need to talk less, you need to talk faster, you need to talk about price later in the conversation, you need to do your company story right, and you give them all this feedback, they're not going to change any single habit because it takes two months to change the habit. So what I would recommend, biggest change that you as a sales manager can make is if you're coaching your sales teams, understand that every single thing that you're trying to get them to change about their pitch, about their process, it's going to take them two months to really learn it and learn it in their bones and do it automatically. So what I would recommend to sales managers, which is a big mistake that we see them doing is if you're going to coach one-on-one or coach your team, stay focused on the same thing for at least a period of two months until you start seeing those changes and that habit get formed. So if you want to coach mm -hmm. your teams on talking less and improving their talk ratio, focus on that. Focus on that for two months. Just coach and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. And then when you see the changes take place, yeah. that's when you move on to something else. Mm. That's really good. Anything else that you would suggest sales managers fix about how they manage their team. I know, you know, it's cool. This, you said this could also help sales coaches. So outside sales coaches, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Coach people, right? Yeah. 1000%. I mean, uh, for sales coaches, it might be interesting. We found that another piece of data that it's like, at uh, if you look at the distribution of, uh, open-ended questions that are asked during a conversation, uh, low performers ask very few open-ended questions per conversation. It's less than two, actually. They ask very few. Average performers ask a lot of open-ended questions, but they ask a lot of open-ended questions at the beginning, and then it kind of never again. 
top performers, the distribution of open-ended questions is consistent throughout the entire course of the conversation. So it's not like a graph that looks like this skewed to the right. It's like very consistent. So they ask open-ended questions at the beginning, in the middle, and towards the end when they're handling objections. They keep asking open-ended questions with a high frequency throughout the entire course of the conversation, beginning, middle, and end. So uh, as a sales... Can you uh -huh. give like an example of like an open-ended question in a sales conversation? Uh, what, what, what made you call us here today? Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> what, uh, what was the last, when was the last time you had a contractor come out and have you had any experience with a contractor before? Uh, oh. tell me what, what are the biggest change? What are the biggest, what are the biggest problems that you're having with your current roof? Like, uh, you know, is it leaking, you know, try to, is it, is it like mold? Like what, what, what is the thing that you noticed that, you know, like literally open into questions well, like, why Oh, think, why do you think low performers don't want to ask those or like avoid, like, why do they not like, I wonder what the psychological reason might be it's it's that they are first i i don't that's also part of the reason why their talk ratio is so high is <laughs> because they're because low performers they're usually like learning how to do the pitch so they just go in there and be like hi i'm so and so from so and so company and we're here we're gonna give you the best shingles in the goddamn world we're better triple they just go into the pitch because it's easy Right. It's yeah. just easy. But yeah. asking open ended questions, you're engaged, you're kind of playing detective work in a sense and then building your presentation. So it's, I, I think it's that it's like asking open ended questions is a little bit harder. It doesn't come natural to people either. When you're a salesperson, mm -hmm. the natural thing that people think is like, I need to talk and I need to pitch. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, sure? I think I've been a bad salesperson before, maybe even just last week. So uh, I, think <laughs> I, uh, I think what you want is you like the certainty and you want to make sure you say everything that you've been. Yes. Saying. And you probably haven't role played on open ended questions. So that might be one yeah, of your yeah, things yeah. for the next two months once you get done yeah. with uh, talking less. Yeah. And then, and then the average reps know to ask open ended questions because they have it as part of their process, but they don't keep doing it. The best performers, they literally respond to objections by asking more open ended questions. Oh, the price is too expensive. What about the price doesn't work for you? And then the customer's going to say, they're literally just asking that open-ended question. What about the price doesn't work for you? It's going to have them say something like, oh, I, you know, it's really not the price. It's like our budget. Oh, we just came off of like, and they're going to start telling you more. You're literally going back to discovery when you're like uh, uh, dealing with objections. And you see like the top performers literally ask questions, open-ended questions towards the end as much as they do at the beginning. Huh. That's so, very interesting. And then I think the other thing, the reason people don't do this is risk. Like risk rejection. And I think when, when you have low confidence in your sales, like abilities, yeah. you, you, you're fearful. You don't want the pain of rejection. And if you don't ask open-ended questions, then you're avoiding the pain of them. You're avoiding leaning in. Yeah. Well, we, one of the things we saw is that when people are dealing with objections, average, like it's just a natural the natural human response, which is what average performers do, they increase their talk speed and they start interrupting it almost like as a way to like, to like fend off the objection, like make it go away. And I'm yeah. going to, the price is too high. Well, you know, I mean, we're the best in the best. Like they start interrupting the top performers. They slow down and they go, okay, so price is too high. Okay. Interesting. So what, what about, what exactly about the price uh, uh, doesn't work for you? Uh, you know, they yeah. slow it down and then they let the customer talk. And then they kind of, because when you react like that to the objection, it makes the customer more defensive and they understand that you're over, you know what I mean? When you just yeah. ask them a question, you're just, you, you sound like somebody who's like a doctor who's like trying to help them. You're trying to get an yeah. understanding of where they're coming so from. That, you know what I mean? That problem besides the roofing problem or whatever, um, 
is the one of the biggest problems we have in the purchase decision is how to get the money and how to pay the price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so if you are a doctor, I could, you know, if you take a doctor's mindset, slow down and get kind of like, oh, I want to help you with that too. You know? So like, yeah, like what, what, what what's wrong with? with yeah, what, what's a particularly wrong? And then they're going to just like, yeah, we just did like a whole thing in our house. And you know what I mean? And like interest rates are high and like our savings yeah. and yeah, our investments are down. They're going to tell you things that might help you actually deal with an objection in a way that resonates with the customer. Not something that they're just going to completely discard because they know that you're giving them some cookie cutter stuff. So Sebastian, this is a fairly quick podcast, it's probably gonna be done by a half an hour in. I hope that's okay. But I want to ask cool. you anything else that surprised you after analyzing all these, um, you know, com sales conversations with AI, what, what are some things that other patterns you're seeing that are interesting to you just as I guess a person studying human beings? Does your company want to build your brand and get more jobs in the neighborhoods you're currently working in? The brick by brick playbook allows you to establish your brand, your reputation and gain trust in any neighborhood in your service area with a series of four postcards sent once a week to the neighbors of your current jobs. If you want to get more work in the neighborhoods you're currently working in, get with the team at Dope Marketing and get your brick by brick playbook set up today. We saw that top performers, typically when roofing salespeople get coached on a sales system, they do their inspection, they do their questions, and then the first thing that they do in their presentation is that they, they're supposed to do their company story, where it's like, so first let me tell you a little bit about our business, right? We saw, right? We, with Rilla Voice, we can analyze not only what topics people are talking about, but when they're talking about these topics in a conversation. Average performers actually do that. They literally talk about the company story right at the beginning. Top performers talk about the company story towards the end of the conversation, actually. And they do it after talking about financing terms, which is really interesting. It's counterintuitive. And, what we, and we were like, oh, that's weird. And typically what they're doing is they're doing the kind of very similar presentation where they're saying like, hey, you need to be careful with contractors around your area. You know, uh, roofing or home improvement or contracting in general is one of the biggest complaints, uh, sources of complaints for, for consumers in the United States. So you need to be careful who you're dealing with. But instead of saying that and then moving on to tell them about their company, but my company is great. They literally say the same thing at the beginning. It's like, hey, you need to be careful with contractors, who you work with, blah, blah, blah. Let's talk about the demo. Let's do the price. And then they get to price, right? They give the price. Usually, there's usually you're never actually selling until you get to the price, right? Because that's when the customer is actually thinking about making the buying decision. Yeah. The top performers then bring up the company story after they're dealing with the price objections as a way mm. to overcome the price objections. So if yeah. customer says price is too high or I need to think about it, I need to talk to my wife, I need to talk to my husband. And, and, and then the top performers slow down. It's like, oh, what about the price doesn't work for you? It's like, well, it's a really big investment. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't, you, we don't really make decisions first day. We don't really want to give that cash up front, blah, 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 blah. It's like, oh, so if I'm hearing correctly, you do have the budget, but it's most a matter of trust, right? Got it. What about, you know, today doesn't make you trust it. And then he goes like, can I tell you a little bit about our company? You know, Dude, start doing the company feels, story. It feels more natural. I think if I was a homeowner, like in a way, it's like you're underselling until you get to the real meat. And then once the, the, the stuff starts flying and there's like pain and there's a little bit of like, you have ah, your ammunition there ready to go. Yeah. yeah. Then we, you didn't then waste we your bullets. Yeah. Up. Cause they, yes. go, they go in too soon because they, they want to come out swinging with the best stuff that they feel confident about, but you got to save yeah. the best stuff until you're talking about until real until it matters. Yeah. Right. Until it matters. So, so it's like, 
the the biggest differentiation you have between yourself and your competitors is literally your company and how you service your customers and your so literally have that as a way to say yes it is expensive we're not the cheapest right we're not the cheapest but here's what you're paying for you're paying for somebody who's fully insured has warranty the people that we don't hire you know like the you know contractors out of nowhere this is what you're paying for so yes you might be able to go with somebody that's going to be able to give you like 30% off half off but it's but it's a trust issue that you're telling me that you have so do you trust these people with your home? <laughs> no, <laughs> you trust me <laughs> because of who we are. That's kind of how they do it, I like which it. is very weird. Anything else on that front? Anything else that was interesting to you that you've seen so far? And I know you guys are going to keep on digging up stuff. And yeah, um, the more unique stuff is going to come from you getting your, your whole company on this. I'm just talking to the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. these are just general patterns that we've seen across industries, right? But like Rilla will identify specific patterns that work for your team, for your specific customers and your specific salespeople. Because uh, uh, it analyzes your CRM data. So the other thing that I found that it's like, this is, this one's not as counterintuitive, but it's super important. Uh, top performers uh, qualify their customer two times more on average than everybody else. So meaning they literally go through a qualification sequence. Um, yeah. The average performers are really not qualifying their customers as often as they should be. Can you give us and some examples of a roofing salesperson, how they would qualify a homeowner? They asked him, it's like, oh, what, what, what's the budget that you would generally had in mind for this home project? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Literally. Yeah, back, <laughs> back in the day, it would be like BANT. So it's budget, authority, need, timeline. Like, so those yes. are like the type what's of your time? You yeah, have. like the literally just doing that what sequence of stuff. Done by that type of thing. So you're kind of you're saying like, are you in a way? What I would say the principle then would be if that was if that's what you're seeing. I think the principle is probably the homeowner is feeling like they're almost like we say we're selective. Like as an agency, we say we're selective, and it does people go into a different mode when they know your company is selective where they yeah. kind of want to, they want to qualify as a customer. And the same goes for like a, a homeowner. If they're feeling like, I don't, are you even ready for this home project? Like, where are you? And like, yeah. you're like <laughs> yeah. no, no, I'm ready. Like I, I yeah, have a yeah, yeah. timeline, I have a budget. Like I'm actually a serious customer. I think that yeah. that would put, that would frame it differently. You're, you're now, yeah. somebody said, always be the buyer. So even as a salesperson, you're the you almost act people, like the buyer. People like, love to buy stuff. They they yeah. hate to be sold. So you yeah. just get yourself on their side and just yeah. like try to see if this is actually a good fit, a good time for them to do this project. Yeah. It, you know what I mean? Just try to build that trust. And if you, I think also like if you were in a mode like as a salesperson, you know more than me, Sebastian, because you're analyzing all this stuff. But like, if I was in a spot where I thought the contractor was helping me make a good decision. Like they, they like actually would turn me yeah. down if I wasn't a good customer. Yes, yes, yes. Like then I would be in a, I would feel much more confident in them. Like, no, based on your situation, like if, if there's a chance, a slight chance, like a 10% chance that that contractor would go, you know, based on your answers to these qualifying I questions. Do, I don't think that you need this. Price. We yeah, have some of our best customers literally do that. They, yeah. they literally say, I don't think this is, you know, this is the right time for you to make this project happen. I think you could, you know, you know, get a fix yourself or something much cheaper. And this is what you need. Yeah. I don't think you actually would use our services. They do that. And that, that generates an insane amount of trust. That customer is going to refer people because they actually found you helpful. Right. Exactly. Just like doctors do. Doctors tell you, oh, this is what you actually need. 
solve your yeah. problem. You know what I mean? Wow, um, that's, that's a great note to end on. Um, what can they do to um, get started with Rilla? How could they get started with Rilla? Go to RillaVoice.com. That's R-I-L-L-A Voice.com. Uh, and click on the schedule a demo link and you'll talk to one of our uh, account executives that will hopefully show you a fun time on a demo. So where are that. you guys out of New York city? God, I wish I could visit sometime. Honestly, I'll just say this, like being able to sort through real like sales analytics, it seems like it'd be a very fun thing at mass too. You know what I mean? I know it'd be fun for our company and do you work with agents? Does your product work for agencies? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Ultimately, it just seems like very cool to like know this stuff. And like, ultimately, yeah. uh, I think you guys are just, I know you're already taking off, but I know this is going to be good. I think this might be like the most innovative product in roofing um, for the year. I don't know. Like, I mean, I know you guys have been around. For One of our customers won the innovation award for GIF Master Elite for her usage of Rilla. So I guess it kind of counts. Let's go. Dude, yeah. <laughs> I'm proud of you. I was stoked to, to see the product a year and a couple months ago, and I'm stoked to see what you're doing now. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for you. And I'm excited for any roofer that does this and learns. And I hope that I hear some more insights from other folks using this too. So amazing. Fun. Tim, this was a pleasure, man. Thank you for having me on. Yes, sir. Thank you for being on. And thank you everyone for watching and listening. It's the Hook Better Leads podcast put on by hookagency.com. Hook Agency all over social. Please like, subscribe, comment, etc. Rate and review the podcast. All right, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye.